Hi, you are listening to Rock Lads Radio. A podcast discussing inspiring personalities and interesting things. This is your host Tanmay Shah. Tanmay is an India-based NFT artist and an entrepreneur with diverse business experience. This podcast is self-sponsored. The best way to support this show is to buy his art, NFTs. You can also become his patron. Kindly share this episode on socials and with your friends. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Rocklass Radio. In today's conversation, we have with us Eugene Capon, a social media futurist Eugene's forward-thinking attitude towards how to connect using technology has been at the forefront of his mission to connect the world and pave the way to the metaverse. In 2014, he graduated with a BA in liberal arts with emphasis on YouTube studies from Evergreen State. Upon graduation, he went to work at YouTube consulting agency Press Play. when focused on next level visual content in the motion graphics and animation genre in 2016 he quit his job as art director to pursue xr social media eugene's first project was producing the film journey vr the film became an official selection at siff a staff pick by adobe and vr then would become the number 1 360 video downloaded on steam for 30 days at the time of its release a year later he would produce and host glitched the first vr talk show to be ordered as if it was a tv show the show revolved around interviewing large name tech and social media influencers like uh, barna clues nerd gasm I I Justin Jake Roper of Vsauce 3 and Gear Live the show ran for 3 seasons since then he has been an avid XR creator making VR videos and 360 animated shorts which gave which gained millions of views on social media as well as making appearance to educate the masses on evolution of the social media experience he also has a podcast named glitched a vr podcast so eugene welcome to the show <laughs> hi thanks for having me so you have been in the metaverse since 2005 how was the metaverse then <laughs> man it was it was non-existent <laughs> Uh yeah so I was thinking about this the other day I was like what was the first time I did anything kind of like related to um next level media or crypto or you know NFTs or virtual experiences in in like 360 video or VR and it it really occurred to me it was back in like 2005 when I was taking photos uh with a camera and stitching them together to create um ecto rectangular maps which is what you need to have like sky boxes for video games or what you um you know if you put them all together you get a 360 video right which is virtual reality technically 3 degrees of freedom 
So yeah, I mean, I've been I've been searching for like how to push this medium for 17 years now, which is crazy to think about. So um and it's been just a crazy ride ever since. You are an OG of the metaverse and VR experience. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Uh, I like to say, um, usually on like Twitter spaces where, where you found me, um, most people in those spaces have only been um, in the space for like one, maybe two years, right? And so, you know, here I come in, you know, having been in pursuit of this for 17 years going, I'm, I'm the old guy in the room, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's definitely been interesting. Eugene. Now your volume is mm -hmm. clipping. It's too high. So just a little tweak and we won't restart this time. How about that? How about that? Yeah, now it's perfect. How about yeah. that? Is it perfect? Is it perfect? Okay. Mm, let some more time. Is grow. it perfect? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's much better. Is it perfect? Yes. Perfect. Okay. Cool. 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 So OG of the virtual reality and XR. So many people are not well versed with this word XR and MR. So mm -hmm. could you just explain that in brief? <laughs> yeah. Um, so XR means extended reality and it's the all encompassing term we use for virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, virtual reality is when you have a digital world put over you, right? So you are from your POV are in a virtual world. Uh, augmented reality, where augment actually means to add something, but you can, in this instance, you can actually take things away if you really wanted to. Um, it just means your senses are being manipulated by external inputs. And so either your visual or your sense of touch or taste or hearing are changed in some way based on new information that's being added. So the example I like to give is you might have a microchip implanted in your tongue that makes every time you eat broccoli taste like ice cream. Wow. And, and that would be a form of virtual reality. And most people only contribute it to like ocular experiences, right? You know, you throw the, po you throw the Pokeball to get the Pokemon, right? You spin the globe around, you know, in front of you. Um, and then mixed reality. Uh, I think it's kind of changed over the years, the term. And it used to be, it used to mean that you as a person are put into a digital environment and not from your view. So kind of imagine like, you know, Roger Rabbit, right? Where you have the human in, in the cartoon world, right? Or, you know, we, we see a lot of it right now being used as a form of virtual production. So you might have like, um, a full screen behind you and, and um, like uh, an experience running in the background of Unreal and you're taking video of somebody, you know, acting out in front of it. And what it's really become now is kind of the mixture between virtual reality and augmented reality. You have written a book, all the things you can do in the metaverse. So... What are the things that we can do in the metaverse? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, my kid's book, All the Things You Can Do in the Metaverse. Um, always wanted to write a book uh, talking about technology in some way. 
and I got engaged uh, a few months ago. Oh, congratulations! And we, and I now oh thank you so much. And now I have a niece and a nephew who are about four and five, and English is not their first language, and I wanted a way to illustrate to them, you know, what Uncle Gene does for a living, right? And Christmas was coming up and I was looking for like technical books and I was like, I can't find any for kids on this subject, let alone any with, you know, Asian representation because they're Chinese. And I think that's really important to be able to see them in their own story. So I was like, you know what? You're an artist. You're, you're a creative. You're an author, uh, I guess, um, or author of writing, I guess. Uh, why don't you just do it yourself? And in five weeks, I had a published children's book. Um, wow. I worked with a children's um, book artist um, who sent me the pages back in the wrong format, so I had to redo them. Um, I had two different editors take a look at the uh, the story I had, and we went we went back and forth on different topics and it's this really cool story of a boy and a girl uh, who are waiting for their best friend to show up and they find a box with two VR headsets and they put them on and a robot appears in front of their eyes when they have the headset on and he describes that's augmented reality. Then a door opens up and they walk through it and they're in a virtual world and they go to a concert and they find out about mining uh, crypto to buy digital assets and, and wear things on their avatar. It's, it's a cute story. <laughs> and, you know, it gives in, it gives a really, really broad overview of what the metaverse should be in like 24, you know, illustrated pages. Wow. So I would put links to that, uh, down below, uh, before this, you're talking about different things that apart from visuals we can do there was a recent video i saw of a japanese uh, inventor who had done it with the sense of taste a tv that would give out taste mm -hmm. not just a visual so what he used to do i was wondering how how is that possible so they used to play the well, chocolate on screen and then uh, there was a mm -hmm. printer and that used the, the they used to pre uh, spray the ingredients on that foil of plastic and that would come out in front mm -hmm. of the list, uh, the person who's seeing it and they could lick it and taste it for themselves. <laughs> oh, so are they, um, are they like scanning their brains for, for output imagery and pairing it up with different senses and taste? No, it's very, uh, what do you say? It's, it's not digital. It's, uh, very, uh, analogous because they have this machine behind which has separate chemicals in mm -hmm. it with different kind of tastes so like our regular printer paints out uh, rgb uh, the colors in different combinations those mm -hmm. uh, chemicals print out in combination of the ingredient of the thing that has been showing on the screen so that sprays it on that paper it comes in front of you and you actually get to taste or lick that liquid on from from the from the foil of plastic. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't like speak <laughs> to it. Um, but I definitely think 3D printers in terms of more than just, you know, printing plastic are going to be, you know, things we're going to be using in the, in the future. And eventually 
hopefully our tech will get so advanced that we'll have like replicators from star trek right <laughs> like that's the that's the dream you know i can just walk over and instead of having to make coffee i just go computer coffee black two sugars and it'll it'll materialize in front of my eyes <laughs> right yeah and the funny part about that video is he made it in 2020 or 21 when the code was going mm -hmm. and we were especially not supposed to lick things <laughs> forget, forget from touching <laughs> it <laughs> So that was that. And there's another uh, thing which I've seen uh, for that experience, those kind of experience who cannot travel. So this tourism companies made a box in which there were blowers for wind and there were some sprays for fragrance. And uh, you could hear the sound of the sea and then they used to blow different things and then used to get a experience of that. So maybe that plugged with the VR set, you could totally get lost in that experience. Oh, yeah. No, we, we've had those for a long time. Uh, there's a company, uh, I saw at TwitchCon in like 2018, 2017, 2018. Uh, I want to say they were called like WindFX. But anyway, it was, um, it was basically these RGB wind tunnels um, that sat with your computer to basically mimic the environment of the video game that you're playing. And so if you were like in a really cold environment, it'll um, have like blue light and, and it'll shoot a, you know, cold air at you. Or if you're in like hell, it'll shoot like hot air as you're like killing demons and stuff. And I, I think um, different uh, devices to basically add to the experience are going to become more commonplace. Definitely since like, I've seen like um, those RGB lights that color match your TV and then extend the light um, out around you, kind of like take off for the last like year or two. Mm -hmm. There was another thing which I can share. It's from uh, the movie. The it's it's like Disneyland, uh, Universal Studio. So they had this ride, roller coaster ride. So of course we can see thing and listen to the senses, but that. But that sense of motion, like you feel that butterflies when you're actually moving, that kind of thing they integrated with the virtual reality. So like transformers or something, there is a screen in front of you. It's dark. There's a screen in front of you and you're actually in the movie and that, that roller coaster is flung with it. So you get to experience it physically. You're flying around in the air and going down. You feel that adrenaline. So... There is so much possibilities are endless, but it's just uh, I think time we the how quickly we adopt. So asking. Oh yeah, I I love I love haptic experiences like that, right? <laughs> where where it it actually matches like uh, the visuals to your uh, to your inner ear fluid, so it doesn't make the user sick. <laughs> yeah. So. I had a question regarding a progress or current status of the VR headset. I had tried once, but it was giving me an, a bit of eye strain. We are already using PC and all for a lot of time. So mm -hmm. what are your comments on the current stage of technology of the VR sets? Uh, so I think we're eventually going to get to consumer level uh, human eye resolution. Uh, and right now, the only VR headset is, that does that is crazy expensive. Um, it's not made for the consumer. It's made for like 
uh, people who work on cars or work on developing brand new cars, right? Like that's the target audience. Um, but eventually the tech will become, you know, more accessible and cheaper and all of our common headsets will definitely be able to have like uh 32k resolution, which is what I think you need for human eye resolution. Don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to pull from memory what it was. I, I literally just woke up. So, um, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll definitely get there. Uh, and then, you know, there are other things that have to happen for us to have, like, the perfect VR experience, right? Um, for one, we, we need them to be able to run a little bit faster uh, so there's no latency. So we can keep, you know, a minimum of 60 frames a second, no matter what the load is for the experience, right? And... There are a couple of different things I keep talking about as far as getting to like um, this virtual oasis, right? This this metaverse, if you will. And there's a lot of confusion on what the metaverse actually is. Um, a lot of people, especially in like the NFT communities, are like, "We're building a metaverse," <laughs> and I'm like, "That's that's not what you're doing. Uh, the metaverse is the entire internet in its third generation." And we're still a couple of years away from it, right? And unfortunately, because of the media that everyone's seen, they all think it's like this interconnected VR world and everyone's able to have their own metaverse. And then that's not what it is. Um, the metaverse is the entire internet in its third generation. And that also includes AR, includes holoportation, that includes NFTs and crypto. And, and there's a real ecosystem of different technologies that are going to make this uh, new internet, right? And what's happening right now is we're at the bleeding edge. And so all the technologies are starting to pop up in a big way. And because we're at the bleeding edge, uh, a lot of people think we're already here. And that, that's not the case. What's eventually going to happen is some sort of educational institution or group of, you know, people with like PhDs who are absolute experts in the subject matter will go, hey, the metaverse starts on this date and that's when everybody just kind of has to accept it. And I gave a talk at Design Reality probably four or five years ago. Uh, talking about the exact steps we need in terms of virtual reality to actually get to a fully realized um, third generation of the internet, right? We need we need the technology to catch up with our expectations and our aspirations, right? Uh, and so uh, some of those elements of VR are, uh, one, the human eye resolution tracking that we talked about, um, two, Computers need to get to the ability to render the experience at a photogrammetry level, at least, unless you're going for that specific art style in that virtual world, right? Uh, and then when that, when we talk about that right now, we're like, well, what if we do everything, you know, server side and we send it over? And I'm like, well, then that leads to latency, right? And when you have latency in virtual reality, um, your inner ear fluid and what you're visually seeing don't match up. And that's when you get VR sick, right? <laughs> so we need to fix that. And maybe the answer to that is 
quantum computing or um, artificial intelligence that is programmatically calculating what your next moves are. Um, and that way it has those things preloaded into the system so it can auto load on command with zero latency exactly what you're going to do next, right? Um, the next thing we need are avatar realization. And that way, you know, if you're a boy, but you feel like a girl, you get to be a girl in the metaverse. If you get to be, you know, a seven foot blue wolf that shoots fire from your mouth every time you talk, that's what you get to be in no matter what virtual environment you get to be in, right? So if your avatar is Hello Kitty and you want to play Doom, you get to be Hello Kitty playing Doom, right? Which are complete polar opposites in the uh, in the gaming world, you know. Um, I think the next thing would be uh, proper portaling systems. So, and I really think Steam dropped the ball on this, as they had the first loadout um, waiting room for VR headsets. So, you know, back in the day when you put on a, a VR headset for Steam, they they took you to a waiting room, like they auto loaded a waiting room. And on the shelves, you could see all the different VR games that you had. And once you select one of those, the screen goes white or black, waiting for the game to load up on the other side based on you know how fast your computer is. When what should have happened is you stayed in that room, a door opens up, and then once it's loaded on the other side, you can open the door, and that just adds to the experience. And then once you walk through it, there's the game loaded up on the other side, and you're picking you know what your what your menu systems are or, or your levels or whatever else uh you plan on playing whatever the experience is on the other side and so it's those sort of things that we need to continuously work on uh to get to this you know next level to this new internet so <laughs> amongst the metaverse so-called which is your favorite one <laughs> Uh, uh, which which metaverse is my favorite yes. one? Well, there's there's only one metaverse. <laughs> it's the entire internet. Uh, what I think you're asking me is, what's my favorite virtual world? Yes. Or my favorite portal, right? Yes. Yeah, and and I think that's a really important distinction to make. As um, in these spaces, a lot of people are saying uh, virtual. They're saying metaverses instead virtual of virtual worlds. worlds. And that is 100% misinformation that's being spread in the communities, right? And we need to do our best as experts to curb that and make sure that they understand these are not metaverses. Um, you know, Decentraland, Sandbox, Rec Room, Altspace, High Fidelity, um, VR Chat, these are not metaverses. These are virtual experiences, and some use blockchain technology to keep track of virtual assets. And we need to make that distinction incredibly clear. So, what my favorite virtual VR world, experience? Yes. Um, I I absolutely love Rec Room. I think Rec Room is great. Um, I'm also not opposed to uh, Beat Saber. Um, absolutely love Beat Saber. I used to play it almost at a competitive level um, back in the day. I was in the top 100 when uh, it first launched. 
And my roommate, he lost like 70 pounds playing Onward and, <laughs> and Beat Saber. So he was like a very big boy. And now he's like, yeah, he's, he's a medium sized boy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a small boy with a gut. <laughs> so how, how is your uh, fitness routine going? Does it include an experience like that? The, the uh, Twitter photographs? That what, you what is my... How is your fitness routine going? The before and after COVID image that you had shared, and now you seem to be coming back. Oh no, that wasn't. That was that was like during the beginning of COVID, and since then I've I've you know packed on a few more, and and now I'm trying to lose it again, right? So because that's what happened. That, that's what happens in in COVID, right? <laughs> no, I definitely need to play more uh, fitness um, virtual experiences to keep up you know, my, my physical appearance and, and not look like a, a chubby guy. <laughs> so could you share some videos of that? You working out <laughs> with the, uh, ooh, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't stream that. That's just <laughs> not something, something I do. Um, no, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my, like my workout is just going to the gym, walking on the treadmill, uh, listening to podcasts or, or audiobooks. Or, or watching YouTube videos and, and trying to learn something new all the time. Why I, because I, I think keeping my, my brain active is really important. Why I asked that was, uh, you have 9.2 million views on pixel.com. That's a free stock website. And there you have shared... Oh. <laughs> there you have shared photos of you working out, lifting weights, and doing even doing oh. dishes to be wearing the VR set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when I first started, I was like, I want to be the face of virtual reality. And how do I do that? And I, I bet on myself that if I put out a collection of purposely bad VR photos, <laughs> they would get it for free, by the way, they would get used in things. And I was right, <laughs> like in a big way. Um, yeah, so I, I had this idea to be like, hey, I'm going to make a collection of, of images and of me just wearing a VR headset and doing like really stupid mundane tasks <laughs> and they would probably gain traction and they did. And they've been used in an estimated 50,000 websites, videos, campaigns, that sort of thing. Wow. Um, I know for a fact that vice Adobe, Google finance and a bunch of others have actually used my face on their blogs and, and campaigns and, you know, videos talking about like virtual reality and that sort of thing. And I wanted to follow it up with, you know, I'm in shape. I, I have a gym near my house. I, uh, I got a photographer friend of mine named, um, Lewis to, uh, to go with me. And, and we, I worked out in a VR headset and then we made these like really funny photos and they continued to, to be a hit. And so, it actually got so meta that I was invited to go talk at a conference and they asked for a headshot, not realizing that the person they were using on their banner for their advertising was me. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh, you already got it. It's, it's, I'm on your banner. <laughs> and when they realized that, they were like, uh, maybe we shouldn't, you know, have this guy talk. <laughs> So that was that was a really funny experience. I had also seen a photo. I'm not sure if it was you, but uh, that was on a shorts and on Blazer, uh, commenting that this is my virtual dating experience. I'm getting ready for the virtual. I don't think that was me. That was I don't think that was me. <laughs> I've never done a, a 
I've never been in a suit and tie and, and done VR. <laughs> or at least I don't think I have. Okay. So you mentioned hello portation. So how would that be? Is that related to holograms or are we actually talking about transporting at a molecular level? <laughs> no, we're, we're talking closer to, to holograms. <laughs> and there's a number of different uh, companies kind of working on this technology. Uh, it's basically 3D photogrammetry in real time being shot over the internet to a different location. And we actually see this in a couple of different ways. Uh, I think... Um, I've seen some indie startups who have really been pushing the uh, the medium. I know Microsoft is working on some really cool stuff uh, in that area. And I mean, of course, there's like the really early versions where you saw like two pocket to uh, Coachella, right? Where he's on stage and he's been dead for a number of years. And, you know, suddenly he's on stage, you know, uh, collaborating with, uh, with other artists all of a sudden. And I think doing um you know say like virtual concerts this way or um going hey i have you know two books two book talks at once i need to go give so i'm gonna go get in this booth i'm gonna have you know tvs of like the audience and it'll be scanning me in real time as i'm talking and a holographic version of me is going to pop up in two locations at once you know, answering questions and, and going back and forth as if I was there. Awesome. And, you know, I, I definitely think we're, we're, we're in the super early stages of that technology. And it'll be really cool to see, like, how it evolves over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Have you seen hologram come out in RGB or are they still in the blue uh, laser like things? Um. I'm not, I'm not sure what you're asking. So, uh, when so we, normally... When we all, think of holograms, yeah. uh, it's usually a person shaped or the, the geometry of a person in blue lights, blue laser lights. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking, have they got other oh, colors or also? Or uh, is it just blue? <laughs> oh, oh, you're thinking like, uh, like Star Wars where it's like blue and, and you see the wave, right? Uh, no, it's, they're all in, they're all in color. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, RGB. Um, I, I thought for a second you were talking about interconnected lights to create touch points. Uh -huh. And therefore you have like brighter light. No, what I, is I, that? I got what you meant. <laughs> that is good. Find that out. Interconnected? Uh, or, or LiDAR. Uh you know, I don't know what it's it's called off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I think it's just yeah, lights touching each other to create brighter lights at different touch points to create levels of transparency so you it appears that you have depth, right? So why I ask this the, because uh, this, in the when we are visualizing uh, holograms or uh, there are some couple of artists who make these holographic uh, uh, designs of nfts but they always visualize visualize it like that uh, like the star wars lasers and blue light things so do you know of any company who is working on that and improving the technology in that uh i don't off the top of my head um so holograms aren't like my main focus okay um so so my my experience with them is 
very much at like the base level. Like I know people who are definitely about it and I've definitely done like, Hey, this is a, a visual box where I, if I put my hand in it, um, I'm going to be able to feel the haptics for it or the, the 3d model will, you know, freak out because my hand is there and it's, I'm intruding in space and that's all uh, a program that's like pre, you know, it's, it's a program, right? It's, it's made to have those animations ahead of time based on, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing. Right. And so, so I think they'll definitely get more complicated. Uh, I definitely think um, maybe we'll get to a point where, you know, we'll have the 3D shark, you know, run out from the from the wall and try to eat you. And as part of the advertising for the next Jaws movie, like you saw in um, Back to the Future, right? Yep. So we are talking about two things now. One is wearing VR headsets and then going into a very virtual world. And the second one is mm-hmm. wearing nothing. It's just a device that shoots up rays and shows you things in front of you. <laughs> so... They might converge. Uh, I'm trying to imagine how they will converge in the end. Like you not. Well, well, I mean, if if we're talking about the cross section between those two, that's just augmented reality, right? <laughs> and and you know, we're we're working on like smaller headsets right now with like lenses that shoot the light into oh, wow. the lenses based on cameras that they're seeing in front of you, right? And that way, you're you know. Most people's experience with the AR is like, I'm on Snapchat and I'm going to add a face and, filter uh, and, and change my eye color or hair color or <clears throat> add horrific scars all over my face or, or something fun like that, right? Um, but, you know, in, in terms of like going down the road and, and doing some like really cool, exciting things, I mean, we might get to the point where we do this thing that I call Lord of the Rings View where you'll wear contact lenses that are synced up to your, your cell phone and they have little cameras in them and projectors and they're being powered by um, either wireless electricity or they're, you know, being powered by the human body in some way. And basically what's happening is in real time, it's scanning your environment and overlaying uh, a different reality on top of it. Right. So it's taking in the the visual information and it's making everything look like maybe you're in an Elvern tavern. Right. That sounds exciting. So like I, I want to live in the in, in the, you know, the middle world in, in Middle Earth or I want to, you know, live in Bloodborne or I want to live in a starship. And if I look outside, I want to see like planets and, and solar systems and stars and aliens just flying by. And when I'm inside my house, everything looks like, um, you know, a, a starship, maybe, maybe like a, a cyberpunk world. And, you know, that's all up to the user as long as you have, you know, those, uh, those experiences. Hold on one second. I'm so sorry. Hmm. This really sounds exciting. And uh, my other next question was on the same lines. Most of us know or experience VR most commonly on the basis of filter on Instagram or Snapchat. And even many designers are trying to create those sort of uh, NFTs in that uh, that type of uh, filters, like creating filters commercially mm-hmm. for companies. So what do you think are mm-hmm. upcoming or next uh, uh, uses of this technology? 
Uh, I definitely think um, what's ha- what's happening right now is a lot of um, social media companies are coming out with their own um, build your AR filter setup. So you have like Snap Lens, you have uh, Effect House, uh, you have um, you know Spark AR. And these are all tools for you as a creator to make your own augmented reality applications in a very um, controlled space. And, and it, they make the level of um, accessibility much higher to the everyday person, right? That's what these tools are for. So what we're seeing is people using them in a really, really creative way where they, you know, maybe – they have a you know an indie film coming out and they make a, a lens filter advertising the movie right and then they share it to their friends and family and they use it to you know like oh hey look at this cool filter i found on on instagram or, or tiktok and suddenly it's turning every person into a micro influencer right which is, I, I think, just super cool. Um, probably one of the more creative ways that we've used it is um, we worked on a clothing brand called Chamber 01, which is a cyberpunk clothing brand. And we made an AR lookbook. So using Snapchat, you can go to the book, you can scan it, and then in in you know in your room, you can spawn an entire mannequin with the clothing on so you can check it out you know almost one-to-one right and then you can like scale it and make it big and you can put it on your desk or whatever um or you know we we had you know you can try on the hat from the brand or you can try the the logo helmet that they have um and so i i think there's going to be more use cases like that and eventually hopefully um, it'll get to the point where people are going to be going to the store, they'll be shopping, and instead of trying on an outfit, they'll hit a few buttons on a screen, and the mirror in itself will render it over them um, based on their vision, like maybe the Toby Eye Tracker or something. And it'll be one-to-one, and they'll be like, oh, hey, look, I have it on without actually having to put on the outfit, right? Incredible. That and sounds- in this day and age, and in this day and age of um, like COVID and, and germ transmission, um, I think limiting exposure in that way using these kinds of technology are, are things that we should be pushing more. You said you already worked for a brand like that. So if any if any of our uh, listeners wants to get in touch with you or get something made of like that. Can they contact you? I'll uh, drop the... Yeah. Uh, so so I own a production company called Studio Cap'n. Uh, we actually formed the company when we sold Glitched for a third season. Uh, so it's owned by me, Tavis Hamilton, and Topher Welsh. Topher Welsh created After Effects Seattle, which is one of the biggest motion design user groups in the United States. Uh, the meetings pre-COVID were actually at the Adobe Fremont campus for about 10 years prior to COVID. So, I mean, that relationship is, is still there. Um, and yeah. So if you want to get in touch with me, you go to studio cap <clears throat> and just send us an email 
and we'll get in touch with you and we'll talk about your uh, your needs. Awesome. I'll drop all the links in the description. You also have created a lot of 360 degree video and those are really fun to watch on YouTube. Pac-Man and Super Mario, Donkey Kong. <laughs> so uh, how did you get an idea of those to create those? Uh, so I have a I have a bachelor's degree in YouTube studies, and because of that, um, I have a fairly good idea of what will probably go viral or get a lot of hits. Um, and so there, there's this thing called the four quadrant method, uh, and it was developed by Cinosaurus, uh, which is a, which is a motion design company that's very good at what they do. And basically, the four elements to like nobody can create a, a viral video, right? That's just not a thing, but you can do certain things to increase your chances of it have, you know, taking off. Right. And so the four quadrant method is what I use as a way of gauging whether or not a project should be made, right. Whether I want it to go take off or this is something I'm making for me. Right. And, the four quadrant method is um, fandom, right? Is there already a fan for this particular content, right? So maybe I'm making something for Avatar The Last Airbender or Mario or Mickey Mouse or, or you know, d something Disney related um, where the video has something to do with those elements. There's a ton of people already interested in that subject matter and because of that they're more likely to click on it rather than just a rando video right uh the second thing is um flagpole content right so i did uh i did a youtube video called um sonic vr and i released it right after the sonic the hedgehog movie got released right and because of that timing right uh, it's, it's at like one, it's between one and 2 million views right now. Right. Because there was an increase in people looking for that kind of subject matter, probably especially kids who, you know, have access to cell phones and they were like, Oh, Hey, I can be Sonic in a, in a 360 video on YouTube. I mean, that's my, the base into the getting into VR and that's why we create them. And so because of that flagpole content, uh, we were able to get those views. And that doesn't have to be just um, like movie releases. That can be, um, you know, Christmas or New Year's or the Oscars, which is a yearly event. Or, you know, around like Halloween, spooky music always like takes off on YouTube, right? Uh, the next thing is um, quality. Like it has to be good, right? I mean – there's a lot of videos that are just not great quality wise that take off. And I, I think that's a special type of uh, exception to the rule. Right. So, and, and, and with that, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's much easier to get views with a high quality video than, or an extremely low quality video with a humorous tone than, you know, a mediocre video, right. That, is kind of good. Uh, and then the fourth thing is you have to market your video. What usually happens is people will 
finish their YouTube video, they'll upload it and I'll be like, okay, what's next? And they're like, oh, I'm starting on the next video. I'm like, you didn't share your last one anywhere. What's the point? Right? So you need to, you know, take your content. You need to share it everywhere. You need to send it to people. You need to uh, put it on forums. You need to contact the, you know, owners of certain groups who, have you know communities who are already interested in this content you need to be like hey you know i made this video it fits with your your audience we're doing it in a new and unique way which becomes your hook and would you would you allow me to share it with your community right and so those are all the different things that you need to do to try to get views especially early on before you have an established audience uh to get things seen and so, I mean, our audience um, is, is small. You know, it's it's like thirty thousand people are subscribed to the YouTube channel, but you know, it's we're approaching you know eighteen to twenty million views probably by the end of the year. That is not small at all. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I've in comparison to like some of the other uh, quote unquote influencers that I've worked with. Like you were talking about like Barnacle's Nerdgasm, I Justine, you know, those Jake Roper from Vsauce 3, all those people who came onto our show either uh, doing the virtual reality show or, or the podcast early on. I mean, those are not small creators. All those guys are between one and, and you know, 10 million followers. And in comparison, 30,000 views that's, or 30,000 subscribers, that's nothing. <laughs> that is always big up. <laughs> fish and there is always a bigger pond so i'm sure you'll be oh absolutely i'm sure you'll be making leaps into bigger ponds and becoming a bigger fish <laughs> with the pace you're mm -hmm. coming in so um you talked about studying uh, liberal arts and vr as a topic so how was that how was that experience and what did you get to learn uh so so when i was in college it, it wasn't virtual reality the things i studied in college were um, advanced filmmaking and animation, advanced physics, online marketing, um, Japanese film studies. Cause you know, anime. I, I won some culture in my life. Uh, well, not, not just anime, uh, but that was a part of it. Um, so those are all the different things that I was studying. And when you go to Evergreen state, they have a chill, uh, a choose your own curriculum, so norm, when you go to a normal college, you're like, hey, I need two math, two science, an English, and a sociology credit to, to graduate. You know, you're 180 credits, you graduate, and, and you're going in the world with accounting or something, right? <laughs> um, the way Evergreen works is instead of taking singular classes, you take what are called block classes. And those block classes run like this. You'll take a single class called like say trajectories and it'll be like one physics um one art animation calculus and and you know fine arts right and those are all the different elements within your your curriculum and there's like three teachers teaching all those classes to you and that's just how it works and so by the end when you get your you know your 180 credits you basically declare what your major is. So if your classes were um, aquatics, oceanography, um, arts and crafts, 
you can say you got a degree in underwater basket weaving. <laughs> wow. That is uh, like the classes you take have to make sense to what your declaration is. That is so essential that um, finding out what were your majors after trying out different things. I have also done liberal arts, but it was slightly different. Uh, but same as well, it was not a main degree course. I had to do it on the side. Um, I did um, markets and capitals, uh, human and global studies, uh, Indian and global studies. Uh, Jembe, I learned music. Then there was public speaking, philosophy of entertainment. And there was uh, Verily Food is Life. So there was a whole course about food and economics and culture about food. So I, defi- I definitely mm-hmm. feel uh, liberal arts is a way to try out at least for a year before you go to the majors or you pro- get a degree. Uh, if <laughs> so Evergreen is will be a recommendation from my end to some people who are going in the US or trying to do that course there. So thank you for that. So YouTube studies. So what were your course to get to yeah. YouTube studies? <laughs> Uh, like I said, I took, you know, animation, oh, yes. online marketing for video. Um, I did a, a year long study for video production where my whole thing was I was making um, IRL mixed with animated uh, pieces in, in the videos. Uh, like I did a I did a short called Neon Cat Loves Dubstep where, you know, the famous neon cat was like my roommate and he was addicted to dubstep. Right. And, and we had to like, go get him help. <sighs> kind of like a intervention. And, and that just took a super dark turn because it's a college film. Right. <laughs> or, um, you know, there, everybody in that class had, you know, weird <laughs> videos. Right. Cause it's the time to experiment and find your voice and, and that sort of thing. So, my actual field of study was, um, you know, animation, marketing, physics, film studies, and film production. And because of that, um, I was able to claim, you know, YouTube studies as my as my degree. And, you know, that landed me a job at a YouTube, YouTube consulting agency straight out of college. And that later brought you to have a blue tech on Twitter. <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was, so my, my blue check mark actually, be, actually became a thing because I was, um, actively giving, uh, talks on virtual reality and, and how I think it's going to change the market. And this is like 2014, 2015, where I started like hitting it really, really hard. And because I had, you know, a bunch of different, uh, videos of me giving talks and I had a bunch of upcoming dates where I was talking about it. Uh, I decided to do a video on YouTube about like, what is the verification, even though I wasn't verified myself, like, what do you have to do to get verified? And I sent all that information off with it inside of the, um, uh, inside of the application. And two weeks later they verified me as a, and, and that's basically because, in the space of virtual reality, um, 
there was only like 200, 250 people who were actively members in this community. And because I myself was giving talks on this subject, trying to get people really excited about it, being an evangelist for the new technology, and there weren't a ton of those out there, uh, I became recognized as a uh, authority or person of interest in this subject matter, right? And it wasn't just me talking about it. I was actually creating stuff in this world. I was making 360 films. I was, I had that, you know, film that became the number one selling um, VR 360 video experience on Steam for 30 days when it launched, which was crazy to me. I mean, that was a, a staff pick by both Veer, which is a um, 360 version of YouTube out of China and Adobe, and I used Adobe products to make that video, right? I used, you know, C4D, Element 3D, which is a plugin for After Effects, and then After Effects in Adobe Premiere to do all my, my post-production editing and rendering. So, I mean, it, it was, you know, figuring out things that weren't really available to everybody else, cobbling things together and really being inventive with my own creations and then finding success within those innovations. So, so you, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's what got me my, my blue check mark. You are an authority, definitely are an authority in this field. How did you get into VR in the first place? How did uh, you get introduced well, to this? Like, like I said, I was, like I said, I was looking, I was making like 360 uh, images and ecto rectangular maps and animated content, you know, back in no, community college. Like in getting like to know about 360 videos, how did that happen? Like through a search on YouTube or was that, uh, how did you like first get a glimpse uh, of it? You know, I, I, I don't remember what my first um, 360 video was. But the VR experience that solidified everything for me was I was at After Effects Seattle and at the end of the meetings, everybody goes down the street to this bar and it was, it was like winter, it was raining. Um, and around the time that all the, the big VR headsets were going to like Indiegogo to, you know, be put on the market, um, this guy named Lou Ward, uh, who's a designer, animator, developer at Microsoft, was working on his own VR experience that he was running on his cell phone. And he had like a Google Cardboard, basically, uh, that he was sh showing this experience that he was building to everybody. And it was the Disney's Iron Giant walking over, picking you up and walking with you in his hand. Wow. And I was like damn like i i took it like i did the, like it was unfinished um a lot of pieces didn't have textures and and the animals in the scene didn't have like skin and stuff or or animation and like i took it off and it like everything kind of clicked at that moment for me like i'd spent so long searching for like the next big thing like trying to innovate and here's this guy who was actively working on something that I was trying to create myself and you know I saved up from my job uh, for about three months 
um, as an art director and I quit to pursue VR full time. And that was like eight years ago now. And that was literally the best decision I've ever made in my life. Awesome. Getting big or getting a first glimpse by that expert or a, a big whale in that field. It's such an awesome, exciting thing to hear itself. You mentioned different tools that you used, Cinema 4D and Adobe. So for a person starting in, which tools would you suggest? Um, so the tools that I used back then are going to be vastly different from the tools that I use now, right? Um, if you are looking to create high-end 360 videos, I would recommend using Unreal, right? And maybe if you're just starting, you know, Blender, maybe if you want something more robust, you know, C4D or uh, Maya would be a great way to go. Um, what I was using, uh, because the tools weren't like super readily available to everybody, was I was using um, uh, C4D that I got a, a student discount on. Um, and I was using, uh, the Adobe creative cloud. I was using specifically after effects and this company called video copilot created a plugin called, um, element 3d. And so I was able to take 3d models and bring them into after effects, which I'd been using for a couple of years at this point, And I'd become barely proficient. And there was a company called metal that created a plugin that would take um, your element 3D experience or, or scene and it would turn it into an ecto rectangular map. So a, a 360 video basically. And from that point, you could export it. So it's me literally cobbling all these things together to create my first uh, 360 video experience. And I had, I had done like some really fun tests and I had, you know, done some like, you know, cool pieces that I put up on, on YouTube, which have since been removed, but there was an event called Seattle fashion week and they were like, Hey, does anybody know how to do VR or have any VR experiences? We would love for you to come and, you know, show off your, your stuff at our event. And I went to their uh, pre-launch party and I met the woman in charge and I was like, Hey, uh, I'm a creative. I would love to do, you know, a VR experience for, to show off at Seattle fashion week. And she was like, cool. You have 28 days. And I was like, man, 28 days. That is not a lot of time. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to use just what I know, what I've been using. Uh, I, I can probably get to, like a five to 10 minute experience together. Um, so I was shooting for eight minutes and I called uh, a friend of mine named Adrian Ladelia, And I was like, Hey man, I need music for a VR experience. I have 28 days to get this done. He goes, what do you need? I'm like, I think the, uh, the halo theme song. And he was like, done. I'm like, sweet. And so a couple of days later, he hit me back going, Hey man, uh, what, what does this sound like? And it was dark and I was in my car in a parking lot. I just got done doing something and he plays the song for me. And I'm like crying cause the song is just so beautiful. Right. And I'm like, bro, you nailed it. You know? And, um, that 
that became like the experience. Like you were in this pod and you got shot out into space and you went past some uh, some planets and through an asteroid field and then there was like a light show at the end and it was through this like operatic um, beautiful relaxing experience as you are taking in the sights of sound of the unknown of, of space right and so I, I showed that at Seattle Fashion Week and somebody at SIF was there and they were like hey we're looking to add VR content to SIF uh, to this year and I was like, great. Like, who do I who, who do I get in touch with? She was like, just send it to me. I'll make sure it gets in. Um, I'll even waive the the fee because we're we're scrapped for finding these kinds of experiences. And I went, sweet. And it became an official selection at SIF, right? And while I was at SIF, yeah, while I was at SIF, uh Valve was giving a presentation there going, Hey, we're looking for 360 films to put onto steam as part of our rental service that we're launching. And I got the card from him and I was like, Hey, I, I have a piece here. And he goes, what's your piece? I was like, it's called journey VR. He goes, Oh, I saw that, you know, you know, send it to me and we'll, we'll waive the fee to, to get it onto the platform. And I was like, excellent. So I got it in and for 30 days, it became the number one selling 360 video experience. Wow. And and Steam is not a small platform, right? Absolutely, it's yeah. the biggest. And what an amazing dominoes effect! Uh, one thing leads to another, and that's a <laughs> awesome thing too. I think that's the yeah. I just think that's the power of saying yes to opportunities, putting in the work, and then following through on following through. I guess, <laughs> right? Just 28 days to create that and having <laughs> collaborating with somebody. all those successes from yeah. it. Yeah. But if I think about this, if I had not been proactive enough to go to uh, this show, right, to go up to the person in charge to ask Absolutely. about it, um, and, and how many people would actually do that? I would say like 95% of people would be like, dude, that sounds like so much work. <laughs> But, you know, look at all the stuff, great, amazing things that happened from me saying yes and, and going through the motions of trying to get, you know, my stuff seen. Absolutely. Just ask or just be in the place and uh, have have the guts or maybe just, just go and ask. I think that's what I would uh, gain uh, insight from this. Another insight would be, to be there at a right place. So I think Seattle and place cities like that, it's very happening where all these things are coming together. But do you think, is there an equivalent where uh, online events like this happen or people can join in to such access, such opportunities these days? Like, uh, are you are you talking about where can people go to find uh, these kinds of experiences or are you talking to, about these kinds of opportunities? These kind of opportunities. So for anybody looking to get started that wants to um, spend the time to, to build in these spaces, I would say go to hackathons, go to your, go to game jams, go to um, create-a-thons. These kinds of events are made for you to go meet people who are motivated, 
who are looking to create something in a very short amount of time and work with those people. And in two to three days, you will have a finished product to either, you know, release it in the world as is or continue to work on and try to make it, you know, bigger. Awesome. That's a great idea and insight. You have written in the bio and you call yourself social media futurist. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. uh, so my background specifically is in social media, but my, the things I do for the public is I get on stages and I talk about the future of the internet, right? You know, the road to the metaverse, how do we get there? What are the things that we need to actively do and create uh, to uplift the community to continue to add bricks to that road, right? And so I'm talking on the different elements of what we have to do to actually get there. And so I might as well blend the thing I'm talking about with the thing I'm an expert in. <laughs> and, you know, there you have it, social media futurist. So you are also an authority on social media. What are, what are the couple of tips that you would share with the audience? Um, don't focus on the numbers. Um, don't focus on the money. If, well, you know, everybody has their own um, reason for, for doing social media content, right? And for the average person, it's not to build a massive audience. It's to, you know, talk with their friends, to be part of a community, to, um, and, you know, while growing a big audience is nice, it's not for everybody. It's not monetarily stable. I mean, if you go to the top, if you go to the bottom of the top 3% of all professional content creators on YouTube, the average creator at that level is only making $16,800 a year US. And for this area, that is lower than the poverty line, right? And when I say that fact, people are always like, hey, but I see all these videos of these influencers with fancy cars and then throwing wads of cash around and doing huge challenges and giving away $10,000. I'm like, Dude, that is the 1% of the 1% or they're faking it 100%. I guarantee most people in those videos do not have that kind of money to, to flex, right? It's all entertainment value. It's fake. And unfortunately, um, when it looks like you have a ton of money, it's very easy to, you know, gain false um, approval, right? So my, my advice to people looking to grow an audience on social media is one, do it for the right reasons. Uh, two, a thousand dedicated fans is better than a million lukewarm fans. Because if that thousand people will buy into your product, will buy your book, will come to your live streams and donate to you versus a million people and maybe, you know, 30 of them show up. 
nobody buys your book. I mean, there are influencers who need to break even who have millions of fans and for them to break even means they have to sell one t-shirt for every 70,000, 79, 80,000 uh, fans of theirs to, you know, be quote unquote successful. And they can't even do that. So you mentioned it's a lot of, a lot of this is an illusion. <laughs> yeah. Illusion. And uh, as you mentioned on uh, the numbers, don't focus on the numbers. There are two views, of course, focusing on the right reasons, but don't you think the numbers also shows it's like a point of karma where it shows how much that person has put in efforts, that money, that much following he has got. Uh, because the more people, people who are from my network or other places, those who people are putting out content daily or more frequently, they usually have more number of followers. So uh, why, if not numbers, followers doesn't followers don't always equal money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One thousand dedicated. I mean, I would rather you know work with somebody who had one thousand dedicated fans than you know had a a million subscribers and a gold play button. And that's because the quality of the work usually vastly differs, or the messaging that they have is is superior. Could you name a couple of those people? As you have been, uh... uh, yeah, yeah. So like, um, I think Shelly saves the day is a underrated YouTuber. I think metal for breakfast is something is somebody who you should pay attention to. Uh, I, I know he was doing live streams and his live streams were always next level, even though he only had, you know, 20, 30 people in each stream. <clears throat> and I definitely think he deserved more. What, what is this? What is their content about? Um, Shelly Saves the Day is a, a social media educator, and she actually worked at TubeBuddy for a little while, and she has a, a, a play button from working with them. And um, she is a great educator on how to put together live streams, right? Uh, Metal for Breakfast is a he, he's like um, he's like a smaller version of Doctor Disrespect, where he's just a funny character. He plays lots of metal. Um, he plays games with glasses on and he talks to a robot. Uh, I love his live streams. Um, yeah, so, I mean, those are the sort of people in my my ecosystem that I absolutely love to watch when I have time. You mentioned your favorite YouTubers. What are your favorite movies? Um Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit of a of a cinephile. Um, so like, um, some of my favorite movies are, um, the matrix trilogy, obviously, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, Kung Fu hustle is, uh, is a great film that I absolutely love. Um, uh, limitless. I think oh, is I a love great that film. One. Yeah, I, I keep watching the TV show over and over. I, I watch the whole TV sh- series probably once every two years, just going through it. What does a cinephile mean? Uh, it, it's somebody who specifically has, um, who loves cinema. Oh, okay. Or, or loves movies. 
Yeah, it, it's somebody who who is very much into into like cinema and mm-hmm. movies. Like I I make a point to go see every Marvel movie in theater. <laughs> like I'm like, ah, oh, get away, COVID. I'm gonna <laughs> risk it for, you know, Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. Let's go watch No Way Home. <sighs> you know? Awesome. So growing up, what what were your favorite cartoons? Uh, so, some of my favorite cartoons, um, growing up was, uh, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the eighties was, uh, was a big one for me. Um, the 97, 98 X-Men was, a uh, was a series I absolutely loved. Basically the Fox Saturday morning cartoon lineup was like my jam, right? So that was like Spider-Man, X-Men, um, and then uh, there were definitely like, uh, like Rocco's modern life. I remember watching a lot of Doug, which was more like a slice of life cartoon, if anything else. Um, and then, you know, later on, like I continue because, you know, of what I do at, where I'm an animator, I continue to watch cartoons to this day. So like, and when I was in college, I was, I was watching adventure time, Right. And I just remember showing all my friends the the original like cartoon pilot before they made it a full series, um, by by Pendleton Ward. When? Um, yeah, oh, this was like two thousand three to two thousand six. When you're watching, uh, when you're growing up, did you think that you were you would become an animator or get into? Uh, animation and of course vr was not there but did you think you'll get into the stream um no no my my parent my parents wanted me to uh to become a doctor <laughs> like them which, which is kind of like the immigrant dream right you come to america you know where you have you kids they become lawyers where are your parents from um my my mom's an american my my dad's a canadian and they came to the u.s when when he was a kid right and so my dad became a doctor and he's an MD and a naturopathic physician uh, and a, a nurse practitioner. And my mom was an RN and a neurobiofeedback therapist, but she specialized working in kidney dialysis. You know, just helping old people, you know, have a better quality mm-hmm. of life at the end of their life. Do you have siblings growing up? Yeah, yeah, I got I got three of them. Um I have three living ones. I have a, a brother who who passed away as a baby, uh, Nicholas. Um, my sister Tiffany is so I'm the oldest, and I have three younger siblings who are who are still alive. Uh, Tiffany, Aaron, and Amy. Uh, Tiffany is um, very very intelligent. Uh, she got a master's degree in three months. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, I I was like Tiffany, like. Like, how did you do that? She said, I, they told me I could work my, at my own pace. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think really she was, uh, she, she moved in with my parents to save money for, for a few months before, like she went back to work to school, working as a, an elementary school teacher. And, and I think she just wanted to like maximize her time. And, uh, she's like that smart. Right. <laughs> and then my youngest two siblings both just finished their uh, their nursing degrees, so they're both nurses now. 
Amazing. And I I suspect uh, my brother will probably become a surgeon later on, and my my baby sister will become a a naturopathic physician like her dad. So when you have uh, like conversations, when you meet up, you are, you are from the VR and totally different stream from the whole family. Oh, my, my parents have no idea what I do. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll say he does something with computers and, and leave it at that. <laughs> so what I'm curious what side of uh, kind of conversations you have when you meet. <laughs> related. You, usually it's my parents going, hey, how do, you, how do I set up this security protocol with this medical software for my, my company so I can see clients virtually? Oh. You, usually they're, they're asking for tech help because they know I can <laughs> help them out. <laughs> uh, or um, I'm, I'm at the age where um, my, uh, my fiance has a, a niece, like, like I said, uh, the niece and nephew – um, and whenever I go out to my parents' house for like family events, they, they come with me and they, they play on the beach and, you know, I, I'm basically like dad to them, I guess. Would they, would they wear some, uh, VR or some anime costumes on Halloween's <laughs> pixel? Um, no, no. So th- this is kind of a fun fact. Um, uh, pre COVID, um, I would actually dress up as Deadpool. And there's this uh, group called Costume Characters for Causes. And I would go and I would pretend to be Deadpool with them and take pictures and hang out with, you know, sick kids and and raise money for pediatric causes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I even went as far as throwing a, a full on event for them at a at a bar called Dante's Inferno. And, and we raised uh, money for the organization and for you know to you know help kids pay for things they need or or to help provide access to camp good times which is a a summer camp for sick and dying children to attend so their parents can have a break from you know having to take care of a a a very sick child all the time right because that's a full-time job in itself and, you know, by doing that and doing it in a really fun way, I, th- I think I'm helping the world become a better place. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, once we get over, over you know, COVID forever, uh, that I can go back to volunteering my time in that manner. How, how did you find that cause or how did you relate to that? Was it an accident or? Uh... Oh, um. So I, I used to be the senior editor at a uh, YouTube channel called Comic Shop TV for four years. Comic Shop and, TV. Yeah, it was called Comic Shop TV. Uh, it couldn't keep up with other outfits like Keek and Sundry, so it eventually got shut down. But for four years, I was the senior editor there, and I was editing and managing and writing uh, YouTube videos, like sketches and stuff. And part of my job is... I would go out to like Comic-Con, Securicon, and, and AVI, or, or, uh, which is the Anaviro, which is the anime um, international um, festival, I guess, in Canada. And I would film cosplayers in their costumes, and then I would use After Effects to give them superpowers in post. And that way we would be putting out um, 
videos of these like cosplay videos and it was a lot of fun to do <sighs> wow. and through that that's where i discovered the group mm-hmm. as they had a lot of um uh participants who were in costumes obviously and and i'd go over and i'd pull them out one by one and i would go film with them for a while and come back and get the next one and uh it was just a great place and through those transactions i got to know them pretty well um i got to know uh jason who who started the uh the group and um and by the way, he looks just like Iron Man. Okay. <laughs> he looks like Robert yeah. Downey Jr. So he'd cosplay as Iron Man. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, eventually got to a point where, you know, we were on a first name basis and I was starting to volunteer my time with them. You're into animation and uh, VR. Did you think about, think of working with uh, DC or Marvel's on collaboration like that you imagine i mean imagine these movies in vr so maybe you could oh absolutely if look if dc and marvel want to talk and they want an animated film i'm my dms are open (laughs) sign on in or uh, maybe you could find somebody at a comic con who could connect you and you would have another dominoes oh that would be that'd be fantastic um i i know ever since like the marvel movies became really big you know everyone's knocking on their door trying to get in right Mm -hmm. so i mean if they they want 360 you know videos dedicated to like upcoming movies and stuff you know they're more than welcome to to reach out or we can have that conversation and see what we can that would be awesome i I hope some listener leading uh, listening to this or seeing this uh, take gives you carries a lead forward so uh, saying that what are the three people living or dead that you would like to have lunch with oh geez uh um i would love to to hang out with stanley um i i had the the honor of meeting him one time oh. um, and I got a picture with him and that's the only time I've ever paid for a photo with somebody. Um, I would love to meet um, God, Robert Downey Jr. Of course, cause you know, Iron Man and, and I don't, I, if, if you saw like my workshop, <laughs> it's, it's very much like I have like my kitchen nook. I have my streaming office. I have, you know, where, where I sleep. And then I have like my invention area where I just spend time, you know, working on projects and, and wiring things and doing VR and, and testing things. Right. Uh, and then the third person would probably be, uh, Betty White because who would not love to have a, uh, a lunch with a golden girl. Betty White, who I am not aware of this person. Um, Betty, Betty White is a very famous actress that, um, died at 90, like three days short of being a hundred. And she has one of the most amazing, um, filmographies ever. So if you, if you ever get the chance to like, you know, see some of the stuff that she did on, um, you know, SNL or Golden Girls or just, you know, being herself i i strongly recommend it you know she loved everybody and she was very like you know 
when it was unfashionable to show, um, you know, you know, I want to take that back. Forget Chris Hemsworth at Mr. Rogers. Um, you know, she's, she's definitely an icon. Yeah. I just Googled her now. I know the person by face, but now I have a name to that. What, what would be the question you would ask these people? <sighs> um, Let's see, uh, Stan Lee, uh, I would ask for um, Kevin Feige's number so I can have that contact. <laughs> um, Mr. Rogers, I I would ask for a hug because something tells me he's an amazing hugger. And um, Betty White, I would ask what her, her biggest obstacle to overcome in her career was. Mm. What was the biggest obstacle to in your career until now um, that you overcame? The the problem with being early is you get a lot of naysayers, right? You get a lot of people saying, you know, crypto will never take off. You get a lot of people saying uh, no one's ever going to, you know, buy a VR headset. No one's going to watch a 360 video. Uh, they have a lot of people, you know, a lot of people told me, you know, you're wasting your time and, and haha, jokes on you. <laughs> um, so no, so, but you know, that's fair with, you know, every life changing technology, right. Where the only, um, indicator, uh, that you were right is having to wait and having to wait, you know, eight to 17 years to, you know, let people know that you were right all, all along. I mean, where are they now? Right. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be all the time. Like, I don't think NFTs are ever going to take off. They're a scam. They're a pure, like crypto is a pyramid scheme. I'm like, that's because you don't understand the technology behind it or no one's going to, you know, buy a VR headset or standalone VR, VR headset. That's, you know, I'm like, you know, these are the same sort of people who were like, no one's ever going to sit down and, and watch a, a television screen for up to four hours a day. <sighs> no one's going to have electricity in their house. It might burn down the house. Yeah. No one's ever going to listen to this thing called the radio. You know, no one's going to yeah. believe that the world is round. Internet is just for geeks. <laughs> yeah so no one's gonna use the the internet what what is that no one's gonna buy things off of it you are in seattle just like bill gates he made software for computers you could you could of course you're already making media for the vr sets <laughs> what do you think about that uh, <laughs> what, what do i think about bill gates living in seattle no. uh or <laughs> Or he's uh, he, that he he made software and I'm making virtual experiences. So like software for computer, virtual experiences for VR sets. So you could, of course, you have a company, but uh, you could scale it like that. Uh, uh, become a just one go-to place or the best place for uh, VR experiences. I'll get a computer from HP or Azus, but I'll definitely get media content from. Uh, a cap on studio <laughs> something like that yeah i mean there there are already like um a lot of uh platforms 
that have a lot more money than we do and they're able to pull better resources into those spaces. And so what we need to do over here is to, you know, get more clients, funnel money into uh, more sustainable projects for long-term revenue. And then we can better uh, be equipped to build tools for the community, right? And I, I think that's that's really what I think you're alluding to is, you know, Bill Gates built an OS, right? An operating system for the common computer. You know, he built Windows. And what I think you're alluding to is why aren't you building an OS for to maintain uh, those kinds of experiences, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I would say probably because I'm more on the, the creative side than the um, uh, foundational mm. side. I mean, there are already companies out there who do this, you know, amazingly, right? In terms of, you know, having different experiences on their platform uh, and, and giving that availability to the masses. I mean, there are people who do it better than us and we need to focus on, you know, what we do really, really well is, you know, call things early try to innovate where we can and hopefully we'll have, you know, a lot more money to do it bigger and better in the future. So you're like the production studio, like HBO or maybe uh, Netflix, their own internal series uh, content to enjoy for the audience on the VR sets or experiences for companies that they can use to market their own products or experiences some <laughs> or something like that, isn't it? That's absolutely that's absolutely right. Right now we are a a media company, right? We're creating experiences. Um and then the other parts of it is we're actively trying to, you know, build tools for the community and eventually we can, you know, tell people what those tools are. Uh so keep an eye out. And um, you know, from there, you know, we'll probably do it bigger and better down the road. On the same lines, what what gets you excited about the future? Just the sheer immaculate possibilities that lay before us. <laughs> like my 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 skill is, <clears throat> um, I have a very high visual acuity, so it's very easy for me to think about all the different outcomes for based on the information that are given in front of me. That's what I do extremely well. And that's why um, by imagining all the finishing scenarios, I can <laughs> kind of look at the market and go, you know, these are the supporting factors of why I think this outcome is going to be more um, relevant and more likely compared to all the other, you know, talking through with all the other outcomes in my head. Right. And based on that, that becomes my predictions. And, you know, so far I've been pretty much on the right track. Uh, the way that NFTs kind of became like a marketplace for art definitely threw my, threw me off. Like that was something I did not see. Uh, I'll admit, but you know, VR, AR, crypto infrastructure inside of new websites, you know, Web3, that sort of thing. That's all stuff I was calling early. 
are you minting nfts uh, of the vr experiences um yeah yeah so right now um i'm i'm doing a test right now uh where if you fill out a form i will send you a free nft i have 500 of them um I minted them like two days ago. We're almost 200 out the door already out of our 500, uh, which means probably in the next week, they'll all be gone. Right. Um, and so if, if you see this, you know, go grab one, um, follow the Twitter account because I'm sure we'll refine what we're doing and, and we'll need more test subjects to send NFTs out to people. Right. So, you know, if, if you want some free NFTs of probably my my severed head, that's, that's what the NFT is. It's my severed head <laughs> glitching out and, and being in this like cool visual style. And actually, th- this is this is it behind me. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Can you just turn the camera a bit? Yeah, yeah. So that is um, a piece I'm calling glitch head. It's just, you know, an animated loop. <laughs> and this is this is cool. Thanks. Uh what platform will be this uh, this be on? Uh so so it's um uh you can get it on it's Polygon. Uh and you can get it um using your your MetaMask wallet. And I've already seen people start to sell them for like 20 bucks a pop, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> wow. And, you know, OpenSea allows those 3D objects as well. So do you plan for any 3D objects? Because people get excited when they can play around with it. Like many of my collectors. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, that would be really cool to have. Um, I haven't decided to do it uh, yet. But, you know, it's it's probably something that's going to happen in the future. And what is a VR file called? Like the 3D is the OBJ file. What is the VR file called? Oh, oh. Um, so if you're if you're looking at an entire like animation sequence uh, with full textures and uh, all the polygons into a single file, it's most likely an FBX. Uh huh. Yeah, FPX is used in Blender. So I was wondering, like, we can move around the 3D objects and see them from all sides. Maybe OpenSea mm-hmm. or some new platform should come in where we can see a 3D view, like spinning around and seeing the whole room uh, or whatever the experience has been created. Are you aware of any platform like that who's doing it? Um, not off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that would be was that you or me what happened oh i heard like a I didn't. so i don't know maybe it's it's software on this side okay so uh yeah that would be pretty cool to have a 3d experience with the nft just viewing mm-hmm. it around and moving it around there's a platform called async that i'm working on now uh that is an NFT that changes the time. So in 24 hours, you'll have okay. different, uh, different NFTs there. It changes the time or uh, in future, they are going to have different things also. I'm pretty excited about creating an NFT 
that changes with the price and gas fees <laughs> so you fill in the data or connect with with the data which is internationally available and then it then you then you fill in those what you want the outcome to be and then it goes autonomously so whenever the market wow. is down you will see that uh, a, a bear maybe or whenever the market is up you will see a bull running or something like that whatever you want to put it out you can do that for seasons also for uh, spring fall and the trees are doing their thing so that's that's pretty exciting i'll share it with you once oh, that's interesting <laughs> it's done huh so yeah there, there's so many things that we can do and i'm pretty excited about the as you mentioned possibilities of uh, what can happen here you know there's another thing i was discussing with a friend in bangalore about the possibility of education uh, industry with the 3d so my i got an idea that just like we have those google maps where you can turn around with the mouse and see those maps we can also create a classroom experience of a museum or a, a some scientific experiment that is risky to be done in in present something like that can be mm-hmm. done into a video or a experience of that sort what do you think about uh, being a creator in educational field for giving those 3d classes or experiences uh, so are we talking specifically uh, in virtual reality yeah, or in, augmented in, in, reality in, or, or or 360 video all of so i'm talking about xr all of, yeah yeah i i think i think having glasses that um have different experiences um automatically play when you're in a physical environment say it sees a a qr code and then it knows to launch set experience around you that interacts with the uh you know the life uh the life piece in front of you like maybe fire starts going and cavemen start moving around or something or you know i think that would be a really really cool experience uh, i think when we have vr and ar uh in the learning environment um i i think that's a better way to do it than inside of uh the real world specifically of how your brain chemistry mm-hmm. reacts to being in virtual environments And this is a really cool uh, little fact. Um, so in your brain, you have this thing called the hippocampus. And its core function is to take short-term memory and convert it into long-term memory, right? But years ago, we found out that you have these things called GPS cells. GPS and that cells? Is your ev- wow. GPS cells. <laughs> and that is your evolutionary response to being able to find your way back home at the end of the day, right? So you, you know, get in your car, they fire off, you get to the edge of the street, they fire off when you get to the highway, they fire off when you get to work, they fire off, right? And so, um, and that is your evolutionary response to be able to find your way back to your hut or your tribe or your cave or your, you know, your structure or dwelling, um, whatever your pre-ancestral home was, right? And so... What we found out is when you are in a virtual environment, those GPS cells fire off more frequently and more randomly because it knows it's in a virtual environment of the real world, right? 
And therefore, it's estimated that you have up to a 30% higher memory retention uh, than in the real world. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's a new term, GPS sales. And yeah, that's totally understandable. What is on your bucket list next? Oh, man. Um, I'm talking at uh, New York NFT. Oh, wow. Uh, so so I'll be flying out to that to, to speak there. Um, there's a couple of different events here in Seattle I hope to go speak at. Um, and then, you know, my, my tour schedule will obviously, you know, shut down during COVID. Right. And now that things are opening back up, I hope to be traveling more, um, hopefully make it to, you know, Dubai and, and Canada and, and, you know, back to China to go give talks on the subject. Wow. That sounds uh, incredible going around in real life and talking and giving sharing experience as well as talking about it. I'm totally for following you and subscribing everywhere and I would insist the listeners also to do that. Something some other many more exciting things coming up. So yeah, well, this well talking on stages about the future of social media is kind of how I paid the bills. <laughs> okay, so you know. It's it's a job, right? That's what that's what evangelists do. So, uh, with Elon Musk coming on and buying uh, Twitter, what do you think is the future of Twitter? Um, hopefully we get an edit button. <laughs> um, so I, I hopefully we'll get an edit button. Uh, I think there will be some kind of visual distinction between. Uh, regular users and Twitter blue users, right? Uh, they they said he alluded that there would be some sort of uh, checkmark system specifically for those kinds of users, and I think there'll be a different kind of checkmark um, versus you know the ones that you have for like people of interest, right? So while the, Everybody can have access to a check mark. It probably will not be the check mark that everybody wants, right? Um, I also think uh, Twitter was probably working on some stuff in the back end um, that made um, worth that basically made Twitter worth buying for that amount, right? So I, I don't think he was just buying a social media platform and. and probably on you know the the surface level yeah it's about free speech you know i want to bring you know freedom of speech to you know, the world but i definitely think that twitter was probably working on a blockchain version of twitter oh yeah web3 and i i think yeah I, and i think that kind of integration um is is worth you know buying a media corporation like like twitter for that amount absolutely Web3 on a blockchain, uh, that would be exciting. They've already taken steps, as the listeners might be knowing, in the PFPs to authenticate those. So on the TED Talk, which he had uh, recently, he was saying that he wants to all humans to have the check marks and fight against the spam bots. And make it I mean, that's... I mean, that would, that would be great. I mean, I get... 
probably 10 to 15 spam bots sending me messages every single day. <laughs> uh, I get between 100 and 150 um, requests to go join NFT communities every single week. And I mean, there's there's no way I can do that. <laughs> like, I don't have that kind of money to, you know, join each and every one. Absolutely. So... Yeah. And also, and also, he wants to make the algorithm open source. <laughs> that now, everyone tries to fig- I mean, figure out what is the algorithm. Go for it. What, what, what is? How do you get the maximum visibility or maximum traction? And he wants to make that open source. <laughs> but, I mean, that would be cool, right? <laughs> I think, especially as a somebody who's both a futurist and a social media expert, I would love to see, you know, the algorithm back end, right? <clears throat> I mean, there's definitely a lot of like speculation to exactly how it works. Usually the lifespan of a tweet is about what, 12 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Ver- versus YouTube where it's, you know, 48, 36 hours. Facebook, it's, you know, 16 hours maybe. So what are what are the top platforms that you use or that are, that you have found most beneficial? Um, most beneficial platforms that I use, um, Twitter obviously, um, YouTube would be you know up there as well. Um, Restream.io allows me to stream out to different things. Uh, OBS allows me to control all my different content in a very fast pace, uh, when I'm doing my live streams. Um, I, I built my own digital assistant, uh, website that basically keeps track of all my links and tasks and stuff. And so though it's, it's not out to the public. Is it like a link for me? That's. Uh, not exactly. It's, it's a lot more robust. Um, and you know, I, I built it for my own needs and I, that is probably the most beneficial platform. That I have. <laughs> yeah. So many things to keep track of. <laughs> Absolutely. You like the, um, the social media distribution cycle is ever increasing. Right. And so Sometimes, you know, when you're creating content and you got to put it on all the other platforms, you miss one or two, right? And by having a virtual assistant um, that basically makes sure that I'm going down the line so I don't forget anything is super beneficial to have. So, so many platforms and you're totally into social media. How do you not get distracted and stay on focus or uh, because... Algorithms or in, of Instagram and all other platform are fighting for the attention to keep you on the platform and keep you engaged all the time and keep you distracted that you don't do your real work. <laughs> How do you fight those algorithms? Um, setting I find setting timers is really important. Um, I have a Pavlov watch. Wait. Which basically monitors my um, my activity on social media, and if I'm on it for too long, it electrocutes my hand. Oh. Yeah, 
And I did that for a while to like train myself to like come back to reality. Right. Cause you know, we, we get on like TikTok and we scroll through. Right. And um, by the way, TikTok is another. So in terms of like usability in like um, uh, these platforms, I think if you want longevity, YouTube is best. If you want to build a community, uh, Twitter is best. If you want engagement or, or you want that like connection to views, I think TikTok is best, right? Those are probably the three platforms that I would say are like the prime examples right now. <sighs> You have a, you didn't mention Facebook at all and Snapchat at all. So, uh, what, what? No, no. Um, you know, I I think Facebook is on the other side of its social media life cycle, Going and it's down. dying. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's why that's why they have Oculus. That's why they launched Horizons. Um, and it's basically what happens when a media company can't add any more users. They start losing market share. When they lose market share, they lose investors. When they lose investors, they can't buy companies to stay innovative, Mm. right? And so what happens is um, you either have to buy companies that are innovative and add them to your conglomerate and you have to shift with the market and that's how you stay afloat. And so by Facebook becoming meta, um, that's that was their intent. <sighs> and so Facebook in itself is not a platform that has any, any sway over me. Meta as a company, on the other hand, I'm really interested in seeing what they do in the future. Um, but they haven't really shown me any real innovation their entire like were meta a video that they released. There wasn't a single original idea in that video. Mm-hmm. Everything that they were showing going, Hey, we're working on this uh, had already been created sometime over the last 20 years in some way or another. And it's been so long since they declared that or that video came out, but there's still no virtual experience or the virtual world that, um, has been from their end. What did you think about that? Um, yeah, they, they don't have, I mean, they have horizons, right? That's their, that's their virtual environment. That's their virtual social network, right? You know, that's where you're able to create things and, and, you know, have things sold on the blockchain for them. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's their next play. And unfortunately, there's so many other VR social networks that do it better than them in the space. Like, I, I think Rec Room is probably the best version of a of a virtual world that we have. That is not in the terms of like how it looks, but in the terms of community functionality and uh, branding. I think Gravity Labs is doing a fantastic job with Rec Room. Rec Room is a new name for me. Last uh, couple of episodes ago, we had uh, BitPixie from Crypto Voxels, and they were she she gave an amazing tour of how, how it works and uh, of that. So how is I will definitely go and check out Rec Room after this. 
thanks for that how how is it uh, what do you like about it compared there are so many there is sandbox there decentraland so why uh, i i love I, I love the fact that it's free uh i love that you know there's a free version and that free version isn't limiting on what you can do and obviously paid features makes it better and gives you access to certain things but you know those paid things are definitely being part of the sales platform, right? You're, you're paying to be able to make money off of the system, which makes sense, right? Um, the building tools for Rec Room, um, I, I think are, are fantastic. I, I think there's a lot of robust things that you can do with it as long as you're creative and, and talented enough to create them. Um, and that's why it gets, gets my, my gold seal of approval. <sighs> Amazing. Thank you. So we are approaching to the two hour mark. It was amazing interacting with you. What words would you like to conclude with? Uh, a little bit of effort and movement can create great big waves, right? If you just say yes, and you put in the work and you don't give up and you be kind to everybody, amazing things will happen. Wow, amazing. I'm going to ponder on that thought. Thanks for tuning in. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on the new shows and to participate on live recordings. All links are mentioned in the show notes. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode.